Welcome to the Learn, Liken, and Lift podcast. I'm your coach, Carrie Hickenlooper. Let's get started. Episode 159, The Influence of One Very Wicked Man. There are so many voices in the world that are clamoring for our attention. And unfortunately, not all of them are worth listening to. You know, I say that and then I think, well, maybe it's fortunate that we don't have to listen to all of them. Even when many people are. Don't get fooled by the amount of reposting of some influencer's words, the number of followers that they have, or how visually pleasing their Instagram might be. Instead, we need to use our discernment, don't we? I encourage you to use the fruit test. What are the fruits of their labors? Read the comments of those who are following them. Are they contentious? Do they have a tone of dissenting? Do they mock and find fault or belittle or even condemn what you find to be beautiful and sacred? Do they do those things towards those who are trying to follow their standards and their values? Do they mock your faith? Do they fall, find do they find fault with those who are trying to live righteously and just be a good human? Do they seem to have this moral authority where they find fault with others and they seem to know it all and then they belittle others for for their lack of Christianity. You know what I mean. You know that that tone. And I just, I caution you to beware of, of the followers. It's a really good way to look at an influencer and the, the fruits that they're growing. What are their followers saying? But also beware of the influencer, right? Those who everyone seems to be following. Are they are they twisting simple truths and and making them complex? Are they are they taking something that you found beautiful and they're now describing it in a tainted sort of way? Do they present their message with anger and contempt? and arrogance, uh, just pride. Are they being contentious and conceited and competitive? Do you feel edified after listening to them or reading their words? Do you feel lifted? Do you feel at peace after watching their messages? Or do you feel a little stirred up? Do you feel like you've been given permission to be offended? Do you feel like they have recalled offenses to your mind and now they are highlighting them, giving them power and emphasis? Do you feel rebellious, argumentative after watching them? Do you feel closer to Christ? This isn't a comprehensive list on how to exercise discernment, but this is a mental checklist that I use about who I'm listening to, especially regarding spiritual matters, because I know it's true. We see it with the rise of social media influencers. We see that one man can cause great wickedness. In fact, Mormon's words in Alma chapter 46 say, Thus we see how quick the children of men do forget the Lord their God. Yea, how quick to do iniquity and to be led away by the evil one. Yea, 
And we also see the great wickedness that one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. And today we're going to study three such men who had a significant impact on the Nephites and the Lamanites during these 20 years of war. And they're all linked in, they all have one common denominator, and, and that is their use of anger. Now, some might say that they have a second common denominator, that they're all dissenters, but I don't know if that's necessarily true of all of them. I can see the argument about the first one, Zarahemna. I can see why some would argue that he is a Nephite dissenter, but I can also see how he might not be. So we're not going to necessarily count him as a dissenter, but we're going to begin with him. He's the leader of the Lamanite army at the very beginning of these war chapters. And at this time, remember the Zoramites, remember the Ramiamptan dudes, they had joined forces with the Lamanites and they welcomed the Lamanites into their lands. And because of their great hatred for the Nephites, because it was so strong among them, the Lamanites actually appointed them (laughs) along with the Amalekites, who remember are also Nephite dissenters. They appointed the Zoramites and the Amalekites to be chief captain over the Lamanites. And these dissenters were so good at stirring up the Lamanites. They knew how to prod them and to get them to remember that their hatred for the Nephites. And they drudged up past grievances. I mean, these supposed grievances that the Lamanites have carried around with them for 500 years. But when the Lamanites were reminded that they were victims, that they had been robbed, it didn't matter to them that this actually wasn't happening right now and then for them personally, that those wounds were so deep, they still saw the Nephites as perpetrators. Now, before I go on, I'm going to remind you, I believe that Nephi received revelation that he was to be the leader over his brothers if they did not obey God's commandments. And I also believe that because of their murderous intentions, that Nephi was told to leave. And that because of his righteousness and his role as leader, that it was right for him to take those brass plates with him. But the Lamanites do not see it that way. And they harbored these feelings for hundreds of years until the point that the only way they could see how they could get over these supposed wrongs that had been inflicted upon them by the Nephites was to bring the Nephites into bondage or to completely destroy them, either one. And that's exactly what a grudge does. Anger isn't taking place in the logical part of our brains. I mean, yes, we can have reasoning happen. We can reason out our arguments. But isn't it fascinating that peaceful resolutions, respect, honor, accepting differences, and still coming together to form solutions, that never comes out of anger. All of those things are coming from the cool down. It's when we have bumped out of our brains and into our minds into that frontal lobe thinking is is how science would describe it. And Zarahemna, he had great power over the Lamanites because he effectively also stirred them up to anger. He also played off the Lamanites' extreme hatred for the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. Because remember, what makes up the Lamanites? 
It's all of those who refused to follow God or believe in God and hated and were murderous towards the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. So he is reminding them of all of that and stirring them up. And this really paid off because all of those remaining Lamanites are the ones who refused and hated those who wanted to serve the true and living God. They hated anyone who was worshiping him. So Zarahemna was the first Lamanite chief captain to see the armor that Captain Moroni had clothed his men in. And comparing their nakedness to Captain Moroni's armor... (laughs) The Zarahemna then decides he's going to change tactics and he's going to try to surprise attack another portion of the Nephite nation. And because even though his army was far more numerous than the Nephite army, his army was afraid of what they saw and they backed away. But with the help of Alma, Moroni knew exactly where to find Zarahemna. He knew exactly where Zarahemna was going to try and attack. And the battle scene that took place is dreadful. And the Lamanites, because they lacked the armor, they were left exposed, just like their anger had also left them exposed. Exposed to manipulation by unrighteous leaders and powers and spiritual wickedness, right? Their anger allowed them to be pawns throughout all of these wars, and they couldn't find a peaceful resolution. While the Nephites were inspired by a better cause, which was their why. Remember the why that we spoke about last week or two weeks ago. All the Lamanites had was their anger and their hatred. And even when they were struck with terror, Realizing that they were surrounded, they relied upon their own strength. And, you know, that fierce strength that can come with rage. And they relied on that to carry them through. And for a while, they fought like dragons. But as you know, strength from anger, it isn't sustainable. It isn't sufficient for a long period of time. And at one point during the battle, Moroni stops the fighting. He sees the terror in the eyes of the Lamanites. And he then offers them an alternative. He says, offer your weapons of war and make up a covenant of peace with us. And you can go home to your families. But this wasn't acceptable to the Lamanites. And why? It's because their why for fighting was anger and hatred. So making a covenant of peace, (laughs) allowing the Nephites to go their own way and live their own lives that wasn't acceptable. Because the Lamanites, they weren't fighting for their lives, their land, their liberty, their families, and their God. They were fighting for the elimination or the dominion over the Nephites who they saw as their perpetrators. Okay? And so Zarahemna refused to take the oath. And without even a care for the lives of his men, he chose to fight on. And their naked skin and their bare heads exposed them to the sharp swords, and they began to fall exceedingly. And can you imagine the hot pride that Zarahemna had to swallow when he finally relented and he made that covenant of peace that he rejected in the first place? Because anger is a really bitter pill to take, isn't it? Because our pride is elevated. Our ego is on full display. 
and it makes course correcting strenuous and it makes repenting or changing our mind about something feel very threatening. So imagine what did it take for Zarahemna to walk away? And then what became of his heart once he returned back to his people? We also have Amalekiah, who for sure is a Nephite dissenter. And he was a large and strong man. And he was a leader over all of those who were wroth with the words of Helaman and Helaman's brethren who were going about trying to strengthen the church. There's Especially because there had been so many dissensions, they're trying to unite the people and strengthen the church. Now, wrath is a bit more intense than the word angry, isn't it? It's to be highly incensed, to be enraged. And Amalekiah and the group that he led, they were determined to slay Helaman and his brethren. Okay, so that's going way beyond just being miffed with someone, right? These dissenters were proud and they were lifted up in their hearts because of their great riches that they possessed. And they wouldn't listen to Helaman and his brethren. And they denied all of the invitations to walk uprightly before God. Now, these dissenters, unfortunately, a great part of them at least, were the lower judges of the people. And these lower judges were seeking more power over the people. And they were flattered by Amalekiah's promises that they would be made rulers over the people if they helped him become king. And a flatterer is exactly what Amalekiah is. It's incredible what his flattery or where his flattery is able to take him, but we won't get ahead of ourselves. But because of his flattery, many members of the church believed him and they began to dissent from the church. Can you imagine? You have unrest within and you have threats from the Lamanites from without. And now the liberties that you've been fighting all along for are now being threatened from within, both your form of government and the church that you desire to worship at. That is what's happening right now for the for the Nephites. But thank goodness they have Captain Moroni in their midst. And this is a, the time period in which he then raises up that title of liberty. And he gathers all those who are desirous to maintain their liberties. And he encourages them and inspires them to take a stand against the dissenters. And there were more of them than there were of the dissenters. And at that point, that's when the dissenters started to get a little shy about what they were standing up for, and they began to back down. But Amalekiah is not going to have that kind of behavior from his followers. And so he gathers them up, and they make an attempt to leave the land of Nephi and make their way where, do you think? Yeah, the land of the Lamanites. But Captain Moroni and his army, they have made a covenant of peace And so they see that this is not going to serve them well if these dissenters get away. And so they go and try and cut them off. But that tricky Amalekiah is able to take a few men with him and he is able to escape. And he leaves the rest of his followers behind to deal with the consequences of facing the Nephites, which doesn't surprise me, does it you? (laughs) It's exactly what one does who's motivated by greed and power and who's looking out for their own selves. They aren't in it for the collective good. Where they're trying to take their people isn't to some collective good. It's just to serve them and to get power, right? So 
as you can see, this is the effect that one wicked man can have upon a people. For example, when Amalekiah then moves on to the Lamanites, what do you think he does? He stirs them up to the point that the Lamanite king wants to now go to battle against the Nephites. But the army of the Lamanites, they have a very strong memory of what it was like last time, and they refuse, which then makes the king of the Lamanites even more mad. So what position do you think Amalekiah is appointed to? Yeah, commander. (laughs) Over the portion of the king's army who was willing to fight, and his first charge from the king was to go and compel that dissented army of his to take up arms against the Nephites. But remember, Amalekiah, he is a flatterer, and he is cunning, and he is subtle, and his evil plans aren't obvious to those around him, and especially the king of the Lamanites, because he desired to actually dethrone the king. And he didn't intend to fight the Lamanite army, but he desired to gain favor with them so that they would then place him at the head of all of the army of the Lamanites and then overthrow the king. And so this takes us to that part in scripture that we love to talk about. It's the poison by degrees lesson, right? That is so applicable, especially when we're talking about the influence of the adversary on us. And Amalekiah goes up the hill where the Lamanite army dissenters are located. And he he goes to them and three times he tries to lure down Lahontai. He's the leader over these rebels who won't fight. And three times Lahontai refuses to meet with him. So finally, Amalekiah goes up and he places himself just on the edge of Lahontai's camp. And isn't that so bold? He's looking like he's being respectful of, of boundaries and the, the position of Lahontai, doesn't he? But it's here that finally Amalekiah can speak to Lahontai and tell him his plan, that he actually really doesn't desire to fight Lahontai's army. In fact, he says, Lahontai, get your army to surround my men at night. And then when they wake up, they'll see they're surrounded and they'll beg me to give them up to you so that they won't be killed. And if I do this, all I want is to just be second in command to the entire army. And this is exactly what happens. But you see, Amalekiah, when he is second in command, he then begins to work on Lahontai by having his servant give Lahontai just small portions of poison, just small degrees of it, small degrees leading Lahontai all the way to death. And then Amalekiah is then made chief commander of the entire Lamanite army. So he was able to carry out this plan and obtain this position by fraud and deception. His heart didn't desire, remember, to be obedient or to submit or to sacrifice. He didn't desire to repent or to have charity. Because remember, those are all the things that Helaman and his brethren taught. And that is what he wanted to snuff out. So Amalekiah marches the entire army to the Lamanite king. The Lamanite king comes out thinking, oh my gosh, he's amazing. He did it. But Amalekiah sends some servants up to greet the king and they kill him and then blame their murderous actions upon the king's servants who just happened to run away. So while 
Captain Moroni is back in the Nephite land, diligently working at preparing the hearts of the people and the minds of the people to look to God and to have faith in the Lord's promises and inviting him to be in their midst and then doing all that it takes so that he'll show up and be there for him. Amalekiah in the Lamanite land is busy hardening the hearts of the Lamanites and he's blinding their minds and he's stirring them up to anger. In fact, he places men upon towers for them to speak and spew hatred rhetoric to the Lamanites to stir them up, reminding them of their victimhood because it wasn't enough for Amalekiah to be king over the Lamanites. He desired to be king over everyone. And he was smart. He equipped his army with the shields and breastplates and the thick garments of to cover the vital parts of their bodies, just like the Nephites did. And then he sent them to war. But unlike Moroni, he didn't care about the lives of his men. His anger actually objectified them in his mind. And unlike Moroni, Amalekiah thirsted for blood. Moroni hated shedding the blood of others. Amalekiah thirsted for it. In fact, he made a vow saying that he would drink the blood of Moroni while cursing God for the losses that they would suffer. Now, as you can see, Amalekiah's ambitions and anger made him rash. Again, anger is not in that frontal lobe part of our brain. It's not in our higher elevated thinking. And though he did, due to his diligence, find a really good time, a good opportunity to come upon the Nephites. It was during a time in which they were again dealing with dissenters who also desired to take away their liberty. And though he was able to take several cities, those fortified ones, his reign finally came to an end. Because one night, the great Teancum, that just sounds like a warrior, doesn't it? Anyways, he was able to come upon a Malachiawala. Amalekiah was sleeping. He snuck into the Lamanite camp. He found Amalekiah's tent, and then he put a javelin straight through Amalekiah's heart. And, but you can see the damage, all of the suffering, all the hatred that one wicked man can stir up. One wicked man can cause great wickedness, especially in those who are willing to quickly forget God. And finally, our last example for today, it's about a Nephite dissenter named Morianton. And Morianton was a proud man and he was full of passion and he had this knack of, um, again, inspiring his people with his wicked and his flattering words. Now, there seemed to be a boundary dispute between the land of Lehi and the land of Morianton, and it was getting pretty heated. In fact, the people of Morianton took up arms against the people of Lehi and they were determined to slay them. So the people of Lehi, they fled to the camp of Moroni and asked him for assistance. And by the way, the people of Lehi, they were not the offenders in the case. Their cause was justified. And the people of Morianton, when they hear that Moroni is now going to be on the scene, they decide to flee and go to the land northward and then take possession of that land. And they might have gotten away with it except for Morianton one day became enraged at his maidservant and he beat her. And where do you think she fled? To Moroni's camp. And she told Moroni everything regarding the people's plans to go northward. And because this was going to be a threat to their liberty, 
they were then going to be kind of surrounded by enemies, one in the north, one in the south. And so Moroni puts a plan into motion. And Teancum, again, he is sent to take care of this disturbance. And the people of Morianton, they didn't back down easily. In fact, they fought. They were inspired by their leader's words, and they stubbornly fought against Teancum's army. But Morianton is slayed by Tiankin, and his people were defeated and then taken prisoner. Do you see how anger and a wicked leader can cause us to then be taken prisoner, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually? So finally, they covenanted, the people of Morianton covenanted to keep peace, and they were restored to their lands. But what a price they had to pay, right? For lacking conflict resolution skills. Their anger caused chaos, loss of life, and it destroyed relationships and actually exposed the Nephites to attacks from the Lamanites. That's when Amalekiah was able to come in and and take some of those fortified cities. These were the fruits that anger and greed and and a wicked leader caused. So as you go about listening to the voices that are all around you this week, I ask you first to remember your God, because that's what gets us in trouble in the first place, when we are quick to forget him. So don't. (laughs) Instead, think about his ways and his attributes, his plan. And once we have him at the center of our lives, then I encourage you to then use your discernment to make righteous judgment about whether or not you should listen to those voices. Now, remember, righteous judgment is regarding how you're going to act, how you're going to move forward. And moving forward, if you're remembering God, should emulate him, right? And remember the trickiness of anger. It pretends to be noble, But once you take action from anger, where does that then lead you? Right? I hope that's something that you can think about this week as you use your discernment. Take care.